My guest this week is Andrew Fundell. We talk about better business banking and the alternatives available to small companies through to large investment firms. Welcome to episode 139 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. And now, here's your host, Roger Edwards. Hey folks, and welcome to the show. Thanks, as always, for downloading or streaming the Marketing and Finance podcast. I really do appreciate it. I'm Roger, a marketing guy from Edinburgh, helping people keep their marketing strategy simple and the bullshit at bay. When I was on stage speaking at CMA Live recently, I asked the audience how many of them had a written marketing strategy. Out of 200 people in the audience, only three hands went up. I asked them why not, and it's clear many people find the process complex, long and boring. But it needn't be complex, long or boring. If you need help with your marketing strategy, please do get in touch with me. Visit rogeredwards.co.uk. We can jump onto a video call to discuss your requirements. And I'd like to show that the process can be easy and it can even be fun. So let's talk to Andrew Fundell about business banking. We chat about why some firms find it hard to set up business bank accounts, what alternative to traditional banks are available, how to market those alternatives, why the human touch is still important in our digital world, and banking tips for small companies through to large investment firms. Andrew works for GCEN and GSC. GSC offers custodial and client money services to investment firms globally. GCEN is an industry-leading global currency exchange firm with 14 years' experience and offices in the UK, Spain, Portugal, Malta and Dubai. So let's get into that interview with Andrew right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Andrew, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thanks, Roger. How are you today? Yeah, very well indeed. Thank you very much. It's a bright, sunny day in London. I was going to say, where are we Skyping each other from? So you're in central London, is it? Yes, we are. Yeah, we're in uh, we're in the, the very top of uh, Bond Street in central London. Fantastic. Andrew, you've got quite an interesting story to tell. And today on the, on the podcast, we're going to be talking about banking, business banking predominantly, and how it's getting harder for businesses to actually open business banking accounts and we're going to have a look at some of the reasons for that and some of the tips that you've got to make the process easier but before we get into that Andrew give me a little bit of background about yourself where you came from how your careers developed where you're going and basically what makes Andrew Fundell tick um, well I've been working in the in the payment services industry now for the last uh, just over the last 10 years um, initially at one of the largest FX and payment services providers in the UK, uh, which was a great grounding um, and experience in the industry. From that point, uh, I then moved into the city of London uh, and then worked at the Forex desk uh, of a an asset management firm, uh, which was an incredibly interesting experience and broadened my financial knowledge across different sectors. From that point, um, I then ended up actually running that that desk and that company. Um, before uh, setting up a, a foreign exchange and hedging service with a with a hedge fund in the West End of London, um, and then I joined Global Custodial Services and Global Currency Exchange Network, where where I currently am, about four years ago. 
um, to open up their central London office. Um, and we've now got seven offices globally. Uh, we've grown very, very quickly over the last four years. Uh, we're, we're a 14-year-old company, so we were founded in 2003. Uh, and we currently hold offices, uh, two in the UK, two in Spain, one in Portugal, one in Dubai, one in Malta. And we're currently opening in Gibraltar as well. Uh, with further plans to to head across to Asia relatively shortly. And what's the crux of the service that you offer, what your business offers, Andrew? The the service we offer has actually evolved quite a bit, you know, certainly since I joined the company, just before I did. We we started life 14 years ago very much as a uh, foreign exchange and payment services company, of which there are a huge amount in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we found... Uh, Partly by chance, actually, is we ended up servicing uh, a hedge fund, a Luxembourg-based based hedge fund, for their requirements. And from that point, we realized there was actually quite a lot of value a business like ours could offer um, to larger companies, especially in the investment world. Right. Um, but we, we really struggled to get a lot of traction due to our regulation as a payment services company. Uh, so we went down the route of actually uh, getting a much more significant level of regulation. So we're a fully regulated custodian with full client money permissions, which means that we can actually hold funds for a company right. rather than just make payments. And this was done initially so that we could look to service those larger clients. But uh, And that was in uh, 2012 that we got that license and from that point really that's been a big growth area of the business for us and really focusing it rather than focusing on what we traditionally did you know, our focus now is very much on what we can do to actually assist companies and where the where the demand really is for services like ours um, and and we've naturally evolved probably you know working more and more to assist on the banking side of things mm-hmm. and also uh, trying to use technology as well to improve the uh, the experience of customers, lower their costs, but also keep a very human element, which I think is is increasingly lacking in that world. Yeah, thinking about business banking, I mean, most of the people listening to this podcast work for companies, run their own companies, and, and having a business bank account is an absolute necessity. I have one as well. Most of the people listening to this podcast will have one as well. And yet, Banking as a whole, at a general level, has a reputation for pretty poor service on personal accounts and business accounts. And I think companies are finding it harder and harder just to simply open business banking accounts. What's going on? What's the problem? You're not wrong there at all. I think companies, you know, normal, what I would call a standard corporate, so an imp- a UK importer would have always had no problem at all in, in opening a bank account. But recently, you know, certainly over the last couple of years, after HSBC got that one billion plus money laundering fine um, that they received, banks are now very, very worried about what type of business they're interacting with. They're petrified about compliance risk. And as such, the compliance departments of all these entities are swelling, becoming larger and larger. Um, which obviously pushes up their their cost of doing business. So they are they are now taking a very blanket approach to certain industries, certain sectors, um, and also you know, that's from a geographical perspective as mm-hmm. well as an industrial perspective. So we're seeing a lot of, as you said, new companies you know, who have personally banked with a bank for years and years and years, you know, trying to open up a corporate account. But if one of their directors is based overseas, for example, you know it, it becomes very very tricky. It can take eight to ten weeks before you get a no 
And then the next stage from that is if you look at investment companies in particular, you know, wanting to open client money accounts is a, another step on uh, and it's become incredibly difficult. Um, certainly traditionally in the FX and payment services industry, it's now there are now probably only two or three banks that will offer a bank account mm-hmm. and most of those banks are not open to new customers without a track record of, of trading. So it's actually become a huge barrier to entry. And and the main reason for that is that, you know, these types of companies and any investment firm will fall into a very similar category depending on their investor base and that you'll be receiving re- receipts from numerous individuals and the bank will have to rely on your KYC processes and procedures and when you have a, a huge volume of, of incoming outgoing payments, the risk then goes up for the bank. And if the revenues aren't there to meet that, you know, unfortunately, there's a financial decision that they make that then they no longer wish to service those clients. And I think you know, keeping existing bank accounts is tricky, but opening new bank accounts is, is very, very tough, especially for a fund for an asset management company You know, that is smaller. Mm. And I say smaller – I'm sure most of the listeners and myself would be categorizing these companies as quite large. They might have 10, 20 million under management. Right. But it, but in that world, you know, to the likes of, of the major investment banks, if you're not 500 million plus, they've got no interest in really talking to you. Um, you know, their, their fee minimums are too high uh, to even entertain doing business. So and these, these entities are forced to either paying huge fees, which means they become less competitive or just not being able to get banking at all, meaning that you go down the tiers and you end up with you know, small local private banks in, in, in various jurisdictions, which as an investor, it doesn't look as attractive. No, and you also mentioned before when you were talking about your own company, you know, the, the fact that you're looking at technology and you're wanting to make sure that you keep that human touch. I just feel these days with banks that there's just no human touch at all. Even to phone them up, you spend hours selecting one, selecting three, selecting five, whatever it is. And when you finally do get through to somebody, they just don't seem to have any empathy with your issues at all. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Uh, I think that 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 telephone-based, you know, press one for this, press two for that system, um, just tends to infuriate people because you can you can tell very quickly you know, they will do anything to not speak to you essentially, mm-hmm. and they want to try and solve the problem via a recorded message. Um, and it ends up that you don't solve the problem. You speak to somebody, they don't really know what's going on. You don't know where in the world they are, um, and then it becomes you know, a, a very very simple job like you know raising an issue. There's been a misunderstanding on something. Ends up taking a whole day of your of your life and. Mm-hmm. You know, we've gone down the other route that every single client of ours, and that goes from you know a hedge fund doing fifty million to Mrs. Smith sending a thousand euros to pay her mortgage. Yeah. It will have the direct line to their account manager, and and they will be on hand to solve a problem, be that registering for an account, making a transaction, or you know, post transaction queries. You know, can you let me know what's going on with have a payment arrived, have my funds hit your account yet? You know, all, all these things. I think it's important that you have a relationship with a real person who knows you, you know, to a degree anyway, um, and, and can help out because you know, we've all heard the horror stories of you know, people having a, uh, a simple misunderstanding and then taking days and days to resolve it, which is, whilst it may be resolved and from a cost perspective, it wouldn't cost you money, but the value of people's time now is, is going up and up and up. Most of the um, 
most successful companies are all about trying to make people's lives easier and mm. speed things up. And actually, you've got a very antiquated industry you know, based on incredibly old systems, which are creaking at best, which means that they are they are very, very slow and it's not easy to get messages across the institution. Yeah, I mean, I, I had an experience recently with my bank, the bank that I use for my business, and I tried to make a card payment um, to one of my suppliers, and it wasn't very much. It was only a couple hundred quid, and they declined the card payment. Now, this was on a Sunday, so I phoned their helpline, and of course, because it was a Sunday, it was a general helpline. This person said, well, you've exceeded your daily limit, and I don't have a daily limit, so that was wrong to start with. So I said, well, this is ridiculous. I want somebody from the complaints department to phone me back during the week. Now, what happened is nobody phoned me back, and about a week and a half later, I got a letter from them saying, we've looked into your complaint, and we don't believe we've done anything wrong and we're not upholding it so i wrote back to them and said well you don't know what my complaint was because nobody ever phoned me back and a couple of weeks later i got another letter saying thanks for the updated information we still don't think we've done anything wrong and we're not upholding your complaint so i had to take it to twitter and finally i got an interaction going with somebody on their twitter account and, and literally this took about two and two to three hours of me writing it, it basically what my experience was and finally they understood that I hadn't actually made the complaint yet and that I wanted somebody to write down what my complaint was and then go and look at it and effectively that's eventually what happened via Twitter um, yeah. but yeah I spent probably the best part of half a day messing around with that and uh, you know if that's the sort of experience that people are having whether they're a small company whether they're a personal account holder or even a global it's just not acceptable no, no, you're you're completely right. And actually, a lot of people wouldn't be in your position where they're able to use Twitter to actually resolve the problem. You know, they would be stuck with this kind of automated churn of letters coming out to say we've reviewed the complaint and we don't uphold it, and then we still don't uphold it. And actually, all you really wanted was someone to call you back and understand that there was clearly a uh, an error on the account in terms of limits, mm -hmm. and then to release the payment, which could have probably been solved in a two or three minute phone call very very quickly and easily absolutely it does make me worry you know for the future we've got all this talk about artificial intelligence and and all of this sort of thing and yet most of us still do like to have that human touch and again if, if it goes the way that you think it might go we'll get less and less human touch going forward but enough of that andrew let's talk about what you do at gcs so how can you make business life better from a banking point of view for your customers? So, so from a banking point of view, there's the two main areas really where we've, we can really add a lot of value. Uh, firstly, in the, in the client money account space, so leaving more towards the investment firms and, and those types of entities who are probably struggling the most. Mm -hmm. you know, as, a, as a fully regulated custodian, we're very, very easily able to open underlying custodial bank accounts that come with the full client money letters um, for any entity that's passed our compliance, obviously, um, and we still have the compliance process to go through. The main big difference for ourselves is that we have no blanket approach to any industry, to any sector, to any country, unless you know, they are on the sanctions list. We will, we, we are open for business, as it were. We'll mm -hmm. look at everything. Now, we'll never say that we'll pass everything because we won't, um, and, and we still have to be strict. But I think the key difference from our perspective is that we have – uh, the time to actually investigate th these things and be able to get comfortable with businesses that are perfectly legitimate, but they might just be in a sector that's slightly more high risk, or mm -hmm. they might just be you know, too small. Our, our overheads are low, 
And interestingly, you know, when you mentioned about technology and the worry about that taking the human t- touch away, what we do here is we try and use technology to make our processes as efficient as possible, so we don't have you know hugely bloated back offices and hugely bloated compliance areas, and try to use technology to make sure that we're able to have more resource actually on the front line to actually speak to clients mm-hmm. and less resources is, is wasted on very, very manual and labor intensive processes. Um, and I think the, the key thing why, why we're able to really offer quite a difference and why there's been such a, a high demand for our services in the last couple of years is that you know we have final say on who we open accounts for. We're not beholden to a bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we do have numerous banking relationships and they've, audited on numerous occasions all of our processes and procedures so that they're happy to give us the ability to open bank accounts on behalf of our clients Um, and we're still responsible for monitoring and and maintaining those accounts but what it means is that from an investment perspective every single client has their own underlying bank account they have visibility of that live they can see new subscriptions arrive live Um, so so they have the visibility on it they can make payments we can have a two-factor authentication process and we can set that up in a bespoke manner what works for them Um, and you know for us there is no minimum Uh, we also don't look to double charge our clients so we will uh, on our first meeting we'll evaluate what their requirements are what the nature of their business is and try and come up with a bespoke pricing plan Um, as a as a historic fx company our view is if if we can generate our income from naturally occurring foreign exchange then we don't need to have any other charges or fees Mm -hmm. because most banks earn a lot of money out of the out of the effects of all their clients but they then still add on the 20 pound wire fee here or a custodial fee or whatever it is these these small fees in my view anyway and 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 they may argue against it aren't entirely necessary when they're making you know quite a lot of lot of money in the effects so our view is like we always did beforehand with to add value on the foreign exchange side, but there's enough margin there for us to then offer up everything else free of charge um, in in terms of maintaining those client money accounts. And we also take ownership of the AML and KYC side of things on investors because we um, we we ha- have to do it for our regulation. So mm-hmm. our view is there's no point in it being done twice. It's a cost-effective and and what can be laborious exercise. And again, we uh, try and automate that as much as we can with online verification software. So we speed up that process and we can handle uh, clients from what I would categorize as in the more sort of P2P sector and web-based investment, right? Uh, which is growing hugely at the moment, um, to a more traditional fund with a lower number of investors still using paper-based forms. You know, we can, we've got a full set of APIs that can integrate into our clients' websites or we can do things manually via web-based secure upload facilities. So we can, we'll, we'll try and fit into the client's needs. Um, but also what we've evolved in the last uh, few months is an additional facility, you know, more for the standard corporate you know, firms like yourselves who will have uh, a, a need for a current account mm-hmm. primarily for the provision of receiving uh, funds from suppliers uh, and then making payments. And what we've seen is that opening multi-currency accounts with banks, again, can get very expensive, can be very labor-intensive and, and generally 
an unnecessary cost and hassle for businesses. So we've got a new uh, a new relationship where we're able to open up underlying bank accounts for standard corporates as well as investment firms. Mm. And it gives them the ability to receive and pay money in multi-currencies. And these underlying bank accounts are actually in the name of the client as well. Right. Yeah. Again, we're responsible, the bank face us and we face our clients, but it's a great way, especially for businesses that don't trade internationally a huge amount, to actually be able to receive funds in, in, in the currency that, the, uh, that they've been remitted into, rather than someone paying dollars into a sterling account, the bank also converting it and losing 3 or 4%. Uh, we actually met with an advertising firm the other day and they said, well, you know, we're, we're quite a young firm. We've been going for two years um, and we receive our money from America. We've only got sterling accounts. So we receive X and we have to pay 30% of it back out in dollars again as cost. But mm-hmm. what happens is we get dollars wired to us from our American clients. It gets also converted into sterling at quite a poor rate. And then they have to then pay back 30% of that back in dollars. So they're converting again to then pay back their fees. Mm. So straight away we said, well, this is an incredibly simple way to solve this. You know, we open up this multi-currency underlying payments account for you. We can receive all, all the money in um, when your invoices are settled in dollars. You can convert it into sterling as and when you need to. Um, and But you can also keep a portion in dollars to then pay those suppliers you know, straight away in the same currency. I think that's, that's quite a key thing. In a way... You might say, well, Andrew, you've actually reduced the amount of foreign exchange they need to transact with you rather than 130%, you're, you're down to 70 mm. But actually, what we're doing is we're adding value to their business and reducing that unnecessary outlay. Mm. Um, and, and straight away, you know, their, their feedback was, well, this is great. This is easy. We had explored into opening a dollar account, but it was going to be quite expensive and there were monthly maintenance fees and you're never sure how long these relationships last for. You know, will they always have a lot of clients in America? Maybe not. So, you know, they're they're a very very good case study in a way of a re- relatively small small business you know, who's had a lot of value add from that uh, from that service. And I think you know, that's the the way the industry is going. That you know we need to try and fill in more and more of the gaps um, that people are receiving from not getting transactional banking services um now i think one thing to make very very clear you know we are not a bank we don't purport to be a bank we don't offer a lot of services that banks offer but businesses that need simple solutions that they need to receive money they need to hold money and they need to pay money they don't don't offer loans or any kind of structured finance facilities that would be your traditional bank but actually those those clients that just need a simple multi currency account for international business payments in payments out for example it's a very very useful solution and i think a lot of there's more and more people you know falling into that category who are just receiving poor service it's expensive um and sometimes it's just not possible at all i think that's that combination of poor service and the complexity of the relationship that can develop just put so many people off but one of the things I think might be an issue for you is that most businesses probably don't know you there as an alternative so their first thought process will be well it's got to be Barclays or it's got to be NatWest or it's got to be an international bank what are you doing as a company to effectively push your profile market yourselves effectively and let people know that there is an alternative to the traditional route 
Yeah, I mean, from our perspective, we we've tried to go via our existing channels. So mm. we've got a lot of relationships um, with partners all around the world, um, a lot of professional services firms. So you know, our perspective is to get get out and about and meet those people. Um, but we're also now trying to explore other marketing channels mm. to make clients aware that there is an alternative le- there. And as you said, you know that is a that is a problem facing everyone is to how do we interact with our clients and potential clients to make them aware that, that this exists. You know, all the underlying bank accounts and all of our systems are provided by tier one banks. So it's not like you're interacting with, you know, an offshore bank somewhere that you don't know. Mm. Um, and, you know, we're trying to look at, you know, clever new and different methods to interact with the clients and get that word across because we don't have the same marketing budget as a, as a major international bank, for example, and as such, this is why we can offer things in a more cost-effective manner. But you know, we, you know, we're looking at engaging more with, you know, a the existing partnerships and relationships, but also social media um, to actually get that word out there, and then try and be a bit more targeted. I think in in, in who we're looking to speak to, because what's what's interesting for me is that having worked in the industry for a long time previously for most foreign exchange and payments firms it's a very very difficult industry to to get new clients on because there are only a limited number of factors you can sell on and actually you know, people may have a solution in place yes you can save them money but it has to be significant to make them change their processes but actually now we've got a very interesting story to tell that we can solve a much much bigger problem and, you know, rather than saying like, we can save you some money when you're moving money yeah what we can actually do now is say we can help your business actually thrive and, and, and continue to exist. So we we are quite targeted in the investment sector. You know, we've we've uh, sponsored a few conferences and we've sent quite a few staff over there um, to various countries. You know, like Malta and Gibraltar, for example, that that struggle for major banks. And you know, those areas for us are quite interesting because there's a lot of business and they're re- really growing financial hubs. However. Um, you know, they're not. They don't have the size of underlying fund mm. that, say, a Luxembourg or an Ireland would, where you've got multi-billion-dollar funds left, right, and centre, and all the big players are there. You know, these kind of smaller jurisdictions are the areas that that probably need more assistance from us, um, as it is. And would you say that there are any particular banks out there? that are doing something really special and different in this area. Again, I I think my mindset is always on the big brands that have been around for many, 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 many years. But there are obviously quite a lot of new, newer banks on the, on the um, scene at the moment. So is there anybody in particular you think is doing good? Yeah. I I think from a banking perspective, the likes of, and they're they're not reinventing the wheel, but the likes of Metro, for Mm. example, you know, you are, you know, our, our feedback from most clients are that their customer service is very, very strong. They've gone down the route of opening seven days a week. Um, so, you know, they've taken quite a lot of business away from the major banks, even without having the same power in their brand. Mm. Actually, their service level has, has has made up for that. But a lot of that is surrounding, I think, personal banking and some smaller corporates. We see a lot of banks, new banks or banking alternatives coming onto the scene um, focusing really on on private clients and individuals, personal banking and using money management tools within an app, for example, the likes of Bonzo and Revolut do similar things where you're, where you're using an app to kind of help people manage their spending and what sectors they're spending on. Uh, whereas 
I think in the business world for slightly more complex relationships, you know, those clients can't be serviced by something that's very out-focused. So that it is harder to look at companies that are out there offering a service that is a bit different and a bit more customer-focused because it's, it's a lot more complicated. When we onboard an investment client, we have to review all of their investment documentation and we have to have clauses inserted to sort of cover ourselves um, that, that we're not liable for the investment performance. So it's quite a complex job to do that. And I think that's why firms like ourselves are, are quite important because you need the underpinning of a major bank behind you that the underlying accounts are with a tier one bank because investors will be put off otherwise. But you need that that company in between to say that we might face 300 clients and we can do that very, very easily and we can service those relatively smaller clients at a good level but then the bank just faces us so it works well for the for, for the bank behind behind us because they get to take in a lot of money process a lot of payments process a lot of foreign exchange so they're getting the fees but from a risk perspective they're facing one fta regulated entity they've got a full reliance on us and then we're doing really the the, the kind of heavy lifting and the, and the dirty work as it were um, and then they get to sort of sit behind it. And that works well for us because, you know, unfortunately, we still need banks and we still need good relationships with banks. So it's a, it's at the moment a mutually beneficial relationship, having that entity between the bank and the client that actually does a lot of the work that the bank doesn't really want to do. This is fascinating, Andrew, and I have to admit that this is a part of the finance industry that I don't really know much about. And if there was if there was one thing that you'd like the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast to take away from your experiences in this sector, what would it be? I think the one thing that I would say to the listeners is that you know, when you are frustrated with your traditional route and, and using banking as an example, but any area of finance, to actually go out there and look for alternatives because they do exist in numerous areas. And the tricky thing is you know, us getting our name out there and actually saying there is an alternative. Come and speak to us. We want to do business. And, and that's the main difference. I think the banks now are very, very scared of doing business because of the highs and levels of regulation around their industry, really, and some having their fingers burned. They would rather not not do business, really, not take on new clients. And that's felt so clearly by the customer that actually it becomes an incredibly frustrating journey. But still, as you said, the bulk of people won't know that there is an alternative. Mm. So they're left banging their heads against a brick wall, as it were. Um, so that's the key thing I think to, to take away is that there are alternatives and not just from our perspective but as I said across personal banking across lots of other channels in the financial world there's a big shake up going on at the moment where non, non-bank alternatives are growing and I think this is slightly tangential but the growth of the you know crowdfunding industry in the UK over the last three or four years is absolutely huge yeah. now not to say every company that raises money on there is the highest quality because it's an, it's an easier platform to raise money. But what you're doing is you're saying, well, banks don't seem to want to lend money. As an investor, you don't receive any return from money in the bank. So actually, by being able to put one-on-one together and say, well, you know, there's 100 people here who are willing to all lend you £1,000 and then the underlying client gets their 100000 that, that they need, so that is actually what's you know, trying to fuel growth in the economy. A lot of early stage businesses especially that are trying to fuel their growth having to go down these methods and i think it's really booming at the moment in the investment sector 
But in the sort of transactional sector where we sit, it's not caught on as much. And I think that will catch up over the next few years, that the, you know, that, that growth of alternatives will continue over the next three or four years. Fantastic. Andrew, I always like to ask my guests on the podcast to think about a marketing campaign or a company or a product that's really stood out for you recently. Tell us what it is and what you like about it. Uh, okay, I mean this is this is very very different to the sector that we work in, mm. but actually, um, product and marketing wise is uh, one of the new uh, mattress companies, uh, Simbasleep, okay. who are advertising everywhere at the moment. Um, yeah, they're a very very new company. I think they were only formed at the start of last year, but already you know they've got sales in the in the hundred thousands. And I think they're a great example to say they've taken something which has always been done in one way. You know, people will go to a bed shop, they'll try a mattress out, they'll lie on four or five mattresses then they'll order it have a huge thing delivered and they've taken something that's been done the same way all the time and actually shaken up you know how that how that buying process is done mm-hmm. and then made mattresses cool which is not something which i think any of us would really ever foresee you know, by being able to compress it put it in a box deliver it into your high rise very very easily makes a world of difference straight away but it's the way they're they're branding the, the product as a cost-effective but high-end desirable brand. They're partnering with exclusive you know, restaurants and doing you know, development airline technology as well for, for, for mattresses there. And you can see someone that's taken something which has always been very, very mundane and, and the journey has never changed in, in terms of how you go around that buying process to now you can sit at home, you can one-click order your mattress, it's delivered next day in a box into your room and then if you don't like it, you've got 100 days you know, to return it. But it's that, I think from a marketing perspective, they've been incredibly clever to move away from all those traditional methods you know using uh, web-based marketing extremely well you know I, I i bought one and there was i'm now forever getting you know whenever i'm on google or linkedin i've always got you know they're in my face as it were <laughs> um but i mean that's a good example of saying and then you see how their brands evolve and how they're adding new the new product to the line but i think you know, they're a they're a very very clever company in, in how they've managed to achieve that in such a short space of time it's interesting isn't it? we've had uber for taxes we've had airbnb for um renting property i never ever thought we'd see something for mattresses it just goes yeah. to show what the world's like at the moment exactly um andrew i'm sure there are people listening to the podcast who might want to get in touch with you so tell me what is the best way that they should connect best way to connect is 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 via the internet um we've got two websites uh, www gcen.co.uk and www.globalcustodian.co.uk two different sites for the two different sectors of our business the more transactional side go down the gcn route the more investment side the global custodian route um, and i think the best way would be to go on the site fill out the information form um, and that comes straight to our team here and then you'll also be pointed to the most relevant local office to you and then contacted by a representative from there. Fantastic. Andrew, it's been fascinating talking to you today about banking and uh, some of the things that you're doing to make the experience for customers a lot better. Thanks for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Let me wish you every success for the future, and hopefully one day we can get to meet up in person and have a coffee or a beer. Absolutely. I love that. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. 
Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the topics, apps and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. If you are a business person, financial services professional or journalist and have a marketing or finance story to tell, please get in touch. You could be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's just thoughts and opinions, okay? Okay.